authenticity, curiosity, intimacy. These are important for success in your personal life, but they are also the foundations of a new mindset leading to true success, fulfillment, and happiness in business. A new business mindset is a series of conversations with business leaders in which they share the importance of real business relationships founded and based upon authenticity, curiosity, and intimacy. It is a show in which we learn how to cultivate a new business mindset and become more successful, fulfilled, and happy in our own careers. And now, here are your hosts. And welcome to the show. I am your host. I am Gareth Young, and I am here with my very good friend, Mr. Todd Schnick. Todd, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, my friend. Uh, I've had the chance to have a conversation with today's guest before, so I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Going to be very enlightening. I believe it will. I'm really looking forward to it too, Todd. Yeah. Before we introduce our guest there, let's just reflect for a minute on last week's conversation with Ralph. Yeah, Ralph Watkins. What a cool conversation. You know, I don't say this often. Uh, it's one of those conversations that yeah, you can pull a, a few sound bites here and there and share a couple of nuggets of wisdom, but this is one of those conversations you should listen to in full because it's uh it's kind of one of those it's just deep and you need to listen to everything in context. But two things that quickly come to mind was uh we talk a lot about the civil discourse or frankly the lack thereof in this nation and and I asked him point blank, how do we solve that? He says there's only one way. You have to model the behavior you want to see. And so if you're not seeing what you want from other people engaged in civil discourse or uncivil discourse, then you you have to ask yourself, well, how would I want to do it? And then do it. So it's that simple. And then we closed on that conversation about creativity. And he just said, you know, look, just get out there and just create something. There's so many tools, so many platforms by which to share your story and stories that can impact people. You just got to get out there and do it. So it was a really fun conversation. Yeah, it was. He's a man who's um, pretty much dedicated his life to the principles you were talking about there, Todd. Oh, of course. It was very interesting. Yes, very it was. So to today, I am absolutely delighted and honored to welcome Colonel Lee Ellis to the show today. Lee is the founder and president of Leadership Freedom and Freedom Star Media. He's been on any number of TV shows and TV networks, CNN, CBS This Morning, C-SPAN, ABC, World News. He served as an Air Force pilot with 53 combat missions over Vietnam, and uh, that ended when he spent five years as a prisoner of war in Hanoi and uh, surrounding camps. Awarded many times and uh, stayed in the military thereafter, has gone on to write award-winning books. Colonel Lee Ellis, it is an honor to welcome you to the show. You to the show, sir. Thank you, Gareth. Good to be with you, and great to hear Todd's voice again. Well, it is always great to hear Todd's voice. I have the uh, honor and uh, privilege of hearing his voice every week, and it was also a distinct pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start, Lee. Just tell us a little bit about what you do at uh, Leadership Freedom and Freedom Star Media. Yes. For 18 years, I've been in the leadership consulting and training business, uh, includes executive coaching. I enjoyed that very much. It turned out I kind of fell into it and step-by-step step fell into it. And I knew that was home for me because I'd spent a lot of time in leadership as a leader and then in leadership education in the Air Force. So working with companies now for 18, going on 19 years, uh, a lot of uh, executive development, executive team development, leadership coaching, training at all levels uh, in the organization. And it's just really uh, bringing all my talents to bear with the passion that I love and the things that I enjoy doing. It's just a huge payoff for me and being able to help people grow to a higher level and become better people and better leaders. 
Isn't that a wonderful thing? We find as we go through life, at least the lucky ones of us do, that helping other people is so much more rewarding than helping ourselves. Oh, absolutely. Oh, it's a, it really is. I uh, I was thinking today, I was talking with uh, someone, uh, listening to someone, and they graduated from college in 1986. And that's the year I went to the University of Georgia and took over the Air Force ROTC program and started uh, some uh, groups of cadets there. And now they're retiring as colonels, and some of them are on active duty still as generals. And I tell you, I look back, and I'm so proud of those kids, you know. And, yeah. and I know I only had a tiny, tiny puff of wind in their sails, but it makes me feel good. Yeah, it's a great feeling, isn't it? And uh, whenever I get involved in uh, any, I don't know, social justice or community action, I always recognize, no, I wouldn't say always, on the days when it's working well, I recognize the people who I think I'm helping are giving so much more to me than I am to them. Yes. Yeah, wonderful feeling. I'm going to jump to a couple of things out of a, a book that I'm sure you will remember well, and I'm confident you use it regularly in your teaching, which is Leading with Honor, Leadership Lessons from the Hanoi Hilton. Leadership Lessons. It's so easy to think about leadership lessons and what one needs to practice in leadership by looking externally. I was really struck when I glanced through that book that fully the first half of it is about the internal journey. Mm -hmm. So Yes, it is. Yeah, I think we always have to start with ourselves. And even there, it starts with self-awareness. In fact, I was in a conversation on a webinar this morning and people asked me about, you know, what do you think is uh, the most important thing that we need to know about becoming a leader? And I said, it all has to start with self-awareness. You cannot manage, you cannot develop, you cannot change anything that you don't understand and have some understanding of so that you have a foundation for coaching yourself and managing yourself in the moment throughout the day. And that's chapter one of the book is know yourself. And going into the war, I was so glad that I knew myself, my personality. I I didn't have any assessments back then. Of course, I do now. But I knew that I was, uh, I liked being in charge. Uh, I'm adventurous, pretty strong-willed and opinionated. And all the things, uh, very confident of myself and my skills, sometimes too much. But those are the kind of things that make for a good fighter pilot. Plus, I love flying, and I had the ability to fly. And I liked the military a lot. So by personality, interest, skills, and values, I was so well aligned with my work that when things really got bad, I didn't blame anybody. I didn't whine. I didn't say, this is not fair. I knew I was exactly where I was supposed to be, and I was trained to do what I had to do in that situation, and I had good leaders around me to show the way. So I think it always has to start internal with knowing who we are and therefore having then the courage and the commitment to be authentic and vulnerable. In our previous conversation today, you used the word vulnerable a couple of times, and I just think that is so important because if you're not willing to be vulnerable, you really probably can't be authentic If you can't be authentic, people really won't trust you very much, and they'll see you as a phony, and you'll have difficulty leading others. Well, Colonel, when people look at your life and your story, the first word that will come to most of them, including myself, is honor. And that's obviously a big part of who you are and what you teach and and how you teach. I think, sadly, most people today in our modern world, certainly in modern business, They don't wake up in the morning and say, all right, well, today I got to do this chore and this task and accomplish this and set that meeting and practice honor. That's not what they're thinking, but it is such a critical element to who we are, both as we've been talking about this internal journey and the external journey. Talk about how 
your typical person listening to this show who's just trying to get through the you know the, the general slog of life if they were just to begin to look at things from the perspective of being honorable how does it begin to change their mindset and their perspective on the world around them that's a good question i think because of that experience in my life i matured a lot around some very courageous committed dedicated leaders and i wanted to be more like them and we were there 24 hours a day you know i lived with one leader for 3 years and we were never out of each other's sight unless we were being interrogated or tortured. So I saw him up close and I saw the behaviors of his that were honorable, which most of them were. And I just wanted to be more like that. I saw the value of it in that situation, especially. So I wanted that. And I think I'd always wanted that. You know, I had read the Bible a lot. There's a lot of wisdom. I'd read Proverbs and Solomon, those kind of things growing up. And I always wanted wisdom. And I prayed for wisdom. So when I saw people acting wisely in very difficult circumstances, I wanted to be more like them. And then I guess as I got into leadership development, I saw how hard it really is to be an honorable person. We look around and we see so many people failing, whether it's uh, governors in jail, mayors in jail. By the way, if you want an interesting and sad commentary in our culture, just Google our Go to your browser and type in mayors in jail. And there's a long list from all over the country. So it's a battle. It's human nature is is determined, so to speak, to be to make dishonorable choices and try to take shortcuts. And so I wanted to get into that battle. And uh, to do that, you have to be vulnerable and you have to be courageous and you have to believe in a better end results than you could get any other way. Which comes back to an internal journey which once you know yourself, once you've found that place where from which you can be authentic, you have to hold on to that. Mm. Yes. You have to fight for it. Yeah. So how do you do that? Um, you've talked about the difficulties others have experienced. How does one do that? How can our listeners practice that when things become very challenging and tempting? I think you have to be very intentional. In fact, we uh, just Three years ago now, we developed the honor code. In the POW camps, we had the uh, POW code, the warrior's code, uh, code of conduct. It had six articles. Well, the one we developed now has seven. And basically, it's about telling the truth. It's about obeying the laws and being ethical and policies and that sort of thing, about treating others with respect. So there's seven real commitments. And the last one, uh, I think number six is uh, you have to be courageous to do all mm -hmm, that. And number mm -hmm. seven is be loyal, you know, be loyal to your own values, your your spiritual values, your conscience, your intuition. Be faithful to what you know and believe in and say that you are. And to do that, you just have to be intentional. You have to be willing to ask yourself the question before each decision or before each action, does this uh, match who I'm committed to be, do these behaviors represent the person that I'm supposed to be, that I'm committed to be? And if not, am I willing to suffer to live up to who I want to be and take whatever that brings me? And I'll tell you, it's just, uh, I fall short a lot, but that struggle and getting closer to being the kind of person I want to be has been a real blessing in my life. And I sleep well at night. Well, being loyal to your own values is a great segue to my follow-up comment here. The, the thing is, practicing honor and being honorable, in most organizations that I've ever observed and been a part of, you didn't get a plaque 
for being honorable. I mean, there's not a lot of public recognition of this. I mean, this is something that you, in my view, this is something that you have to hold yourself up to, right? I mean, this is not something that, that your boss is going to pat you on the back and say, hey, Todd, really proud of you. You, you were honorable today. <laughs> that, that doesn't happen. You're so, right? You are so right. You are so right. You are so right. You know, it's kind of like uh, some of the uh, the famous people in history. You know, it's hard to preach something or to to, to teach something that says, by the way, this is going to be hard. <laughs> yeah. But I just think that for me, I think maybe because I, it's being a POW was really an advantage in that I came home kind of starting over and I could make choices that I don't have to be hungry for this or that. I don't have to have certain kinds of food. I've lived on six months of pumpkin soup twice a day and three months of cabbage soup twice a day, a bowl of soup. And so I don't have to have this or that or the other to be happy or to be successful. I want to do what I'm called to do and be the person I'm called to be. And that will make me happy. And whatever else falls in around that is, uh, will be good. You know, there's something about the way we live our lives today and not not in prisoner of war camps or monasteries, but in you know the land of Walmart, where we are really caught up in what's going on around us, mm-hmm. and that external validation which Todd was talking about becomes really important to us, and mm-hmm. we lose sight. Somehow we lose sight of the most important thing, which really is that internal validation, that internal compass, staying mm-hmm. true to that internal compass, mm-hmm. and somehow we do not. Remember that the only way we can have any chance of being happy is if we stay true to it. Yes, yes, I think that's exactly right. And I think we can be happy. We learned as POWs that we could be happy in the worst of circumstances. We had to be. We were there five, six, seven years. I was there five and a half, but some of my cellmates were there seven and a half. One of my cellmates was there eight years. His third child was born three months after he was captured, and he didn't see him until he was almost eight years old. So, but we learned to be happy in those situations and to live in a thankful way for what we had, even though it was frustrating knowing that families, fortunately, I was single during that period, but knowing that families were suffering without us, uh, we just had to believe that it would all work out. You have to believe that it all works out, but I'd also think that there is not just that you come to rely on it, but that you come to recognize the, and it is a spiritual comment, you come to recognize the value of that internal compass. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's it's a hard place to go to hold a mirror up to yourself to see internally. And you mentioned the word validation. You know, I've come to believe that our validation really comes from God. He determines that I'm a man and I'm born in Georgia and I live in Georgia and I'm in these circumstances. And the affirmation that we get from others is kind of an echo of that. And we need that. But when we recognize the mercy and grace that we have in this life and focus on that, rather than the fear of, uh, I didn't perform well enough, I didn't measure up, I mean, we need to be conscious of that and sensitive to always striving to be better. But we are going to fail. But to have grace, to bounce back, and I like to think of getting up in the morning and starting anew, and today I want to uh, live better than I did yesterday. Mm-hmm internally more aligned with who I am and believe that I am called to be. Well, you just partially answered the question, but you just said a few minutes ago, you have to trust that it will all work out. Most people don't feel that way. They're so pessimistic about the future 
of the world right now that they just allow themselves to get mired in the muck and are depressed and just hopeless. And and that's, gosh, yeah, if you allow yourself to be consumed by all these external stimuli, well, yeah, sure, it's not hard to get in that place, but you can't do that. I mean, I, I think about the situation that you and your, and your comrades uh, in the POW camps, I think about the Jews in the concentration camps. I mean, this, this uh-huh. idea of, of the, you know, the search of meaning and, and finding value in just even the most basic tenets of life. I mean, I'm being overly dramatic. Well, I guess I'm not being overly dramatic. I'm, that's actually reality. But the point is most people haven't gone through those experiences yet. They're still hopeless. How does someone listen to this? Who's just frustrated because their boss is a, is a pig. <laughs> and so uh-huh. their, their life is thus defined as miserable when they, when they have so many opportunities, what 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 switch do they flip to begin to realize, hey, there's there's an open canvas here of of opportunity, and I just have to look at things a little bit differently. It's easier, it's easy to say, harder to do. I suspect. How do you do it? You know, you mentioned the concentration camps, and uh, Viktor Frankl is one of my great heroes. I'm sure you probably read his book, Man's Search for Meaning, but he wrote it right upon release, but he was conceiving it in his head while he was in the concentration camps. He was a a leading young up-and-coming person in the Vienna School of Psychiatry back in the the early 1900s. And he said, you know, they can take everything away from you, but it's all about your will to meaning, you know, your drive to have meaning and purpose. And if you have something that has meaning and purpose for you in your life that that you're striving for and hoping for and believing in, then that can be enough to take you through even the worst of situations. Now, I didn't know of Frankel until two weeks before our release, and they gave us some books after the agreements were signed, books for my families. I'm sure they had a warehouse full of them that they'd <laughs> never given us. They opened yeah. it up after the agreement was signed. And, and sitting in the POW camp, I read Victor Frankel's book, Man's Search for Meaning. And when I came home, a friend of mine who's a psychiatrist said, well, you know, Victor Frankel's speaking at the University of Georgia next month. And I said, who? Victor Frankel. And he arranged for me to actually meet and spend about 30 minutes with Victor Frankel after he spoke there. And so I just always felt like he really understood what this was about because he'd gone through it. And he was a psychiatrist who put all this through the uh, through the process, so to speak. And he understood that purpose and meaning is what it's all about. If you can you know, if purpose and meaning is helping someone else, if it's uh, going home to your family, if it's going back and changing the way things are to make them better, whatever that meaning and purpose is, that can drive you and make you optimistic toward the future. By the way, I was in uh, Pensacola three weeks ago to meet with the Naval Operation Training and Medical Institute, where they maintained a longitudinal study on former POWs from Vietnam and uh, Gulf War and uh, recent wars. And we go down there and go through physicals with the Navy uh, at the Mitchell Center. And one of the the psychologists on board there has written this paper. It's uh, Optimism Predicts Resilience in Repatriated Prisoners of War, a 37-year longitudinal study. And uh, they conclude that optimism is the thing that enables people to survive and come home with the least amount of PTSD and mental disturbance. And that optimism was grounded in, you know, this hope and faith and confidence in the future. That's a wonderful and validating fact for uh, those of us who think that kind of behavior and belief system is important. Thank you. Yeah. For that. There, Gareth, is you don't take a pill to become resilient. I mean, that's no. it's a decision you have to make. It's a mindset you have to get into. It's a and, mindset. And, and you could sit there and say, oh, well, if I was in Lee's shoes in that camp, well, then I, there's 
I, I, there's no way I could do it. Well, then you lose. You, you have to. The point here is you have to choose to be uh-huh. optimistic. You have to choose to be positive yep. and resilient, and you just have to exactly. fight through. I mean, and that's yeah. It's it's again, it's easy to say, harder to do. But sorry, you got to do it. It's it's not easy. One of my um, a, a an amazing experience in my life is something that can't continue much longer. Uh, I was in South Africa and specifically in Cape Town a few years ago, and went to Robin Island. And the guided tours of Robin Island, which of course is where Nelson Mandela and many of his uh, compatriots were held for decades, the tours are conducted by former inmates. So of course they're all uh, elderly men at this point. But the guy who took us around, he was just remarkable. He told us a little bit about his history, and he'd started off, you know, car bombs and blowing stuff up, and they'd had uh, military training so they could be insurgents, and they'd had that in Uganda, I believe. But he talked about how in the prison they communicated with each other through the, you know, the system of little notes and so forth that everybody in those circumstances seems to figure out how to do. And they talked about how they, when they were eventually released, and this gets to optimism, I mean, they believed that they would eventually be released and they would move into power, that they would have this reconstructionist government, which of course we saw. And you could see in his eyes when you said no, when you asked about resentment and bitterness, it wasn't just words. There was not a shred of it there. Mm-hmm. Just amazing. I'm sure you you can relate to that, Lee. Yeah, I can. We were at our 40th anniversary reunion two years ago, be three three years ago soon, in San Antonio, Texas. We're sitting around uh, in the hospitality suite, which was now we've made into just a big, we just get a whole big room with many tables, and we sit around and have a drink and visit and talk about the old days. And one of the guys said, you know, it was terrible to go there, and I would never volunteer, but I wouldn't change a thing. And everybody at the table said exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. No, we wouldn't change a thing because we wouldn't be the people we are today had we not gone through that. Yeah, and I think that is that is another really important lesson. I'm not quite sure how we bring it to heart, but you know, a lot of the bitterness and the um, lack of civility in America today would be put to rest if we could take that, that approach. Yeah, it's a... Uh, it's it's very difficult. There's so much negativity out there. I have to fight against it myself because there's just, you know, it's like an oppressive w- wave after wave coming at me. I have my own beliefs about things, you know, and I believe in civil discourse. But so often, and especially if you get into the social media and all that, it's not civil discourse. It's just grab, de-injustifies the means. So just be as nasty and mean as you can as quick as you can and try to wipe somebody out like that. It's just, it's not good. It's just not healthy. Uh But I will choose to take from this conversation, um, lay a message of optimism and one that I think can inspire us. And I hope I I am optimistic because I do think ultimately this will inspire us and we will move through this and we will be a better nation as a result. So that's where I choose to lay my head. Well, I'm, I'm marching in that same direction with you, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> well, Colonel uh, Lee Ellis, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. It's been a pleasure and an honor, sir. Well, it's been my pleasure, and thank you so much for having this kind of program. I know it's uh, inspirational to so many people, and I'm glad you're out there doing the good work you are, and thanks, Todd, for helping. Before we let you go, Lee, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, follow up on this conversation, how might they do that? 
Yeah, probably the easiest way. We just launched a new website. It's not fully populated with all our stuff yet, but we're moving everything to leadingwithhonor.com. Leadingwithhonor.com. I will put that on the show notes as well. So, Colonel Lee Ellis, thank you again for being with us today. Uh, Thank you so much. From our guest, Lee Ellis, from my co-host, Todd Schneck, from myself, Gareth Young, thank you for listening. Join us again next time. And listen to this show again before then and uh, digest some of its powerful lessons. Till next time. You have been listening to A New Business Mindset, a radio show about the importance of authenticity, curiosity, and intimacy in business. To catch other great conversations and to learn more about the show, please visit us on newbusinessmindset.com. If you liked what you heard, and to really help us out, it'd be great if you'd visit and leave a review on iTunes. So thanks again for listening. A new business mindset will return next week.